This is a podcast from FT.com. For more information, please visit www.ft.com forward slash podcast. The Commissar is expecting to move on. That is evident from yesterday's budget, Gordon Brown's 11th, and one assumes last. It contained the habitual boasts of targets fulfilled and competitor nations buried. It contained the mind-numbing details of the Brown plans for improvement in every corner of British life. But it also contained some bold initiatives. Yet if one looks carefully, one finds that he is not so much robbing Peter to pay Paul as robbing Peter to pay Peter. This was sleight of hand, pleasing to the Labour backbenchers, but of little economic significance. Overall, as was always to be expected, the budget was close to neutral. How then has the Chancellor been able to finance his two most exciting announcements, the reduction in the rate of corporation tax from 30 to 28% at a cost of $2.23 billion from an index base in 2009-10, and the reduction in the base rate from 22p to 20p at a cost of $9.64 billion? The answers are simple. The former is financed by cutting capital allowances, worth $2.27 billion in 2009-10, and the latter is largely financed by the elimination of the 10p starting rate of income tax, worth an additional £8.63 billion in 2009-10. These are largely measures of simplification. That is no criticism, even if the elimination of the always unnecessary 10p ban means that Mr Brown is withdrawing one of his own measures. It is better to have a lower rate of corporation tax with fewer allowances. It is better to have fewer tax bans, too. These are also measures of mild redistribution. In the case of corporation tax, there will be redistribution from relatively unprofitable companies with large fixed assets to profitable ones with smaller assets. In the case of personal tax, there will be redistribution from somewhat better-off people who will pay more national insurance – now even more clearly a straightforward tax on earned income than ever, to people who will benefit from increased age allowances, a cost of £950 million in 2009-10, higher child tax credit, a cost of £1.02 billion, and higher thresholds for the working tax credit, a cost of £1.31 billion. This would not be a brown budget without a plethora of little measures. The green element is replete with them, Grants for pensioners to install insulation and central heating, for example, and reductions in value-added tax on energy-saving and environmentally friendly products. I also noticed a new 100 million competition for high-technology innovation to, I quote, convert British scientific breakthroughs into British commercial success and jobs. This is an old chestnut. But I like the plan to tax empty properties, just as I support the proposal to raise council taxes on the most expensive dwellings. Property should be taxed more heavily. Yet to get some real sense of what Mr Brown has been about, let us step back and look at the bigger picture on the fiscal position spending taxes in the economy. On the first, the budget shows a small deterioration. Between 2007-08 and 2011-12, cumulative net borrowing is now expected to be £12 billion higher than at the time of the pre-budget report last year. Similarly, the surplus in the current budget is expected to be £7 billion smaller over the same period. Nevertheless, Mr Brown expects to meet the first of the fiscal rules that the current budget be at least in balance over the next cycle, just as he has done over the last one. 
The current budget is forecast to go into a surplus of 0.2% of GDP in 2008-9 from a deficit of 0.7% of GDP this year and remain in surplus thereafter. Equally, public sector net debt is expected to remain just below 39% of gross domestic product throughout the forecast period. The forecast improvements in the fiscal position depend, of course, on tight control of spending and steady rises in tax receipts as a share of GDP, largely because of the automatic drag in the fiscal system. Current spending jumped from 35.1% of GDP in 1999 to 2000 to 39.1% last year. It is now forecast to fall to 38.3% by 2011-12, which is fractionally lower than it was in 1996-97 before Labour came to power. Total spending, including investment, is expected to be 41.8% of GDP in 2011-12, down from 42.3% last year. So the Labour government has delivered public spending famine, then feast, and now a strict diet. Spending is also to rise more slowly than GDP. Since that is precisely what the Conservatives also propose, Mr Brown is hardly justified in treating their representations, as he calls them, with scorn. Meanwhile, tax receipts are forecast to rise from 39.2% of GDP last year to 40.4% in 2008-09, and remain at the latter level thereafter. Between 1996-97 and 2011-12, tax receipts are forecast to jump by 3.1% of GDP. A world in which tax ratios rise and spending ratios fall is not going to be one in which the public will regard the government with a friendly eye. Given how little popularity it gained from the years when the sluice gates of spending were open, Mr Brown and his colleagues have to worry about the politics of taxation and spending in the coming years. At the very least, both he and the government will have to demonstrate much greater effectiveness in using the money than they have done hitherto. In the core historic area of the economy itself, Mr Brown can surely claim that he has achieved a highly creditable performance. The stable growth over the past decade, indeed over the past one and a half decades, has been remarkable, even if we are now used to it. It is not just that the economy is now growing faster than those of the other members of the group of seven leading high-income countries, but that it has kept on growing faster than most of them over a lengthy period. Now, as Mr Brown reminded his audience, the UK is the second richest country in the G7 after the US. He has every reason to consider this a job well done. Chancellors do not create a dynamic economy on their own. In this case in particular, he owes enormously to the Conservative governments that preceded him, but his has been a praiseworthy record. In all, Mr Brown reminded one again of both his virtues and his vices. He is a formidable politician with a strategic vision. He has presided over a lengthy period of stable economic growth. He has been a competent steward of the nation's finances. He has redistributed money to the relatively worse off at a time of growing pre-tax disparities. But he has also been prone to excessive complexity, tireless interference and a plethora of gimmicks. Not least, he has never provided a convincing answer to the biggest question – has the additional public spending been widely used? He bequeaths to his successor sizable achievements and big challenges. As Prime Minister, he will be unable to escape the latter either. Thank you for listening to the podcast from FT.com. 
For further information, please go to www.ft.com/podcast. Thank you.